0: Chapter 31 of the Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Conquest by Oscar Michaud. Chapter 31 the McCrallenes. As before mentioned, i was given largely to observation and to reading and was fairly well posted on current events i was always a lover of success and nothing interested me more after a day's work in the field than spending my evening hours in reading what i liked best was some good story with a moral i enjoyed reading stories by maud radford warren largely because her stories were so very practical and true to life. Having travelled and seen much of the country, while running as a porter for the P. N. Company, I could follow much of her writings, having been over the ground covered by the scenes of many of her stories. Another feature of her writings which pleased me was the fact that many of the characters unlike the central figures in many stories, who all become fabulously wealthy, were often only fairly successful and gained only a measure of wealth and happiness that did not reach prohibitive proportions. Perhaps I should not have become so set against stories whose heroes invariably become multi-millionaires had it not been for the fact that many of the younger members of my race with whom i had made acquaintance in my trips to chicago and other parts of the country always appeared to intimate in their conversation that a person should have riches thrust upon them if they sacrificed all their good times as they termed it to go out west of course the easterner in most stories conquers and becomes rich that is, after so much sacrifice. The truth is, in real life only about one in ten of the Eastern people make good at ranching or homesteading, and that one is usually well supplied with capital in the beginning, though of course there are exceptions. Colored people are much unlike the people of other races. For instance, all around me in my home in Dakota were foreigners of practically all nations except italians and jews among them being swedes norwegians danes assyrians from jerusalem many austrians some hungarians and lots of germans and irish these last being mostly american-born and also many russians the greater part of these people are good farmers and were growing prosperous on the little crow and seeing this i worked the harder to keep abreast of them if not a little ahead this was my fifth year and still there had not been a colored person on my land many more settlers had some and tip county was filling up but still no colored people my white neighbors had many visitors from their old homes and but few but had visitors at some time to see them and see what they were doing during my visit to kansas the spring previous i had found many prosperous colored families most of whom had settled in kansas in the seventies and eighties and were mostly ex-slaves but were not like the people of southern illinois contented and happy to eke a living from the farm they pretended to cultivate but made their farms pay by careful methods the farms they owned had from a hundred and sixty acres to six hundred and forty acres and one colored man there at that time owned eleven hundred acres with twelve thousand dollars in the bank wherever i had been however I had always found a certain class in large and small towns alike whose object in life was obviously nothing, but who dressed up and aped the white people. After Miss Rooks had married, I was again in the condition of the previous year, but during the summer I had written to a young lady who had been teaching in Emborough, and whom I had met while visiting Miss Rooks. Her name was Orlean McCrelline and her father was a minister and had been the pastor of our church in m when i was a baby but for the past seventeen years had been acting as presiding elder over the southern illinois district miss mccraline had answered my letters and during the summer we had been very agreeable correspondents and when in september i contracted for three relinquishments of homestead filings I decided to ask her to marry me, but to come and file on a Tip County claim first. To get the money for the purchase of the relinquishments, I had mortgaged my 320 acres for $7,600, the relinquishments costing in the neighborhood of $6,400. October was the time when the land would be open to homestead filing, and miss mccraline had written that she would like to homestead after sending my sister and grandmother the money to come to dakota i went to chicago where i arrived one saturday morning i had since being in the west stopped at the home of a maiden lady about thirty-five years of age and in talking with her i had occasion to speak of the family evidently she did not know i had come to see orleans or that i was even acquainted with the family i spoke of the reverend mccrawling and asked her if she knew him who old n j mccrawling she asked she went on with a contemptuous snort. Yes, I know him, and know him to be the biggest old rascal in the Methodist church. He's lower than a dog, she continued, and if it wasn't for his family, they would have thrown him out of the conference long ago. But he has a good family, and for that reason they let him stay on. But he has no principle, and is mean to his wife, never goes out with her, nor does anything for her, but courts every woman on his circuit who will notice him, and has been doing it for years. When he is in Chicago, he spends his time visiting a woman on the west side. Her name is Mrs. Ewis. This recalled to my mind that during the spring I had come to Chicago I had become acquainted with Mrs. Ewis's son and had been entertained at their home on Vernon Avenue, where at that time the two families, McCrawling and Ewis, rented a flat together, and although I had seen the girls, I had not become acquainted with any of the McCrawling family then. Orléan was the older of the two girls, What Miss Ankin had said about her father did not sound very good for a minister. Still, I had known in southern Illinois that the colored ministers didn't always bear the best reputations, and some of the colored papers I received in Dakota were continually making war on the immoral ministers. But since I had come to see the girl, it didn't discourage me when I learned her father had a bad name, although I would have preferred an opposite condition. I went to the phone a few minutes after the conversation with Miss Ankin and called up Miss McCrawlene, and when she learned I was in the city, she expressed her delight with many exclamations, saying she did not know I would arrive in the city until the next day, and inquired as to when I would call. "'As nothing is so important as seeing you,' I answered, "'I will call it two o'clock, if that is agreeable to you.' "'She assured me that it was, "'and at the appointed hour I called at the MacRalene home "'and was pleasantly received. "'Miss MacRalene called in her mother, "'whom I thought a very pleasant lady. "'We passed a very agreeable evening together, "'going over on State Street to supper,' and then out to Jackson Park. I found Miss MacRailene a kind, simple, and sympathetic person, in fact agreeable in every way. I had grown to feel that if I ever married I would simply have to propose to some girl, and, if accepted, marry her and have it over with. I was tired of living alone on the claim, and wanted a wife and love, even if she was a city girl. I felt that I hadn't the time to visit all over the country to find a farmer's daughter. I had lived in the city and thought if I married a city girl I would understand her anyway. I could not claim to be in love with this girl, nor with anyone else, but had always had a feeling that if a man and woman met and found each other pleasant and entertaining, there was no need of a long courtship. And when we came in from a walk, I stated the object of my trip. Miss McCrawlene was acquainted with a part of the story, for, as stated, she had been teaching in M. Borough at the time. I went there to see Miss Rooks, and had seen her take up with the cook and marry foolishly. She had stated in her letters that she had been glad that I wrote to her, and that she thought Miss Rooks had acted foolishly and when i explained my circumstances and stated the proposition she seemed favourable to it i told her to think it over and i would return the next day and explain it to her mother when i called the next morning and talked with her and her mother they both thought it all right that orleans should go to dakota and file on the homestead then we would marry and live together on the claim but her mother added somewhat nervously and apparently ill at ease that i had better talk with her husband as the reverend was then some three hundred and seventy five miles south of chicago attending conference i couldn't see how we could get together but we put in the sunday attending church and sunday school and that evening went to a downtown theatre where we saw lou Stater's minstrels with neil o'brien as captain of the fire department which was very funny and i laughed until my head ached the next day was spent in trying to communicate with the reverend over the long distance but we did not succeed fortunately at about five o'clock mrs ewis came over from the west side I had known Mrs. Ewis to be a smart woman, with a deeper conviction, than had Mrs. McCrawling, whom she did not like. But as Mrs. McCrawling was in trouble, and did not know which way to turn, Mrs. Ewis was approached with the subject. Orlean was an obedient girl, and although she wanted to go with me, it was evident that I must get the consent of her parents.' she was nearly twenty-seven years old and girls of that age usually wish to get married her younger sister had just been married which added to her feeling of loneliness the result of the consultation with mrs ewis as she afterward explained to me was that it was decided that it would not be proper for orleans to go alone with me but if i cared to pay her way she would accompany us as chaperon I was getting somewhat uneasy, as I had paid twelve hundred dollars into the bank at Megory for the relinquishment, which I would lose if someone didn't file on the claim by the second of October. It was then about September twenty-fifth, and I readily consented to incur the expense of her trip to Megory, where we soon landed. While I had been absent, my sister and grandmother had arrived. On October 1st, all three were ready to file on their claims, and Dakota's colored population would be increased by three, and 480 acres of land would be added to the wealth of the colored race in the state. Hundreds of others had purchased relinquishments and were waiting to file also. A ruling of the department had made it impossible to file before October 1st, and when it was seen that only a small number would be able to file on that day the register and receiver inaugurated a plan whereby all desiring to file on Tip county claims should form a line in front of the land office door and when the office opened the line should file through the office in the order in which they stood, and numbers would be issued to them which would permit them to return to the land office, and make their filings in turn, thereby avoiding a rush, and the necessity of remaining in line until admitted to the land office. End of chapter 31